here you are, you're at the end of your first year in office, and before we get to what happened this year, I wanted to know, based on what you were expecting coming in, having not spent any time at City Hall, versus what you got, uh, you know, how, how did it compare to what you were thinking about during the very long campaign that we had last year? Well, you automatically think of a job like mayor as a job where you can sort of come in, and not because you want to sort of say your way or the highway, but you like to sort of think you can come in and there's things you desperately want to get done, whether it's on traffic or transit, and that it's going to happen, and it's much more complicated than that. So things take longer than I expected. Uh, you have to work to get the votes on the city council longer and harder than I expected. But um, you know what? Um, I think we've made progress this year, and we'll just have to uh, proceed next year knowing a little more than we knew this year to get more done. Do, how long do you think it took you, would you say, that to get yourself feeling really comfortable here and that every day when you came in you felt like you had a clear understanding of what's happening and the system and the way that things work? Because just from a reporter point of view, I felt like it took me a long time to just understand committees and all that kind of stuff and the way it works around here. I am still learning, and it took me the whole year to, and even now I feel like I don't have a full understanding of some of the things you just said. I don't know that I have a full understanding of exactly what goes on a committee, certainly with the procedure, some of which is arcane. I don't have a full knowledge of that, but I think I do now know how to deal with people here, both public servants and politicians, and that was uh, the first thing that I had to really learn. And uh, so I think that, you know, it's really been a whole year that it's taken of learning and that hopefully will make me even more effective next year in getting things done because I know, uh, you know, I know what I know now and I know what I still don't know. Right. And in terms of what you had hoped to accomplish in your first year in office, how much of that do you think you were able to, to get done and, and how much do you think you have left? I ran on keeping taxes low, uh, getting some transit built, getting traffic better, um, getting some housing done, and uh, making sure we attract jobs to Toronto. And I think on every one of those files, without exception, we've made some progress. But the challenge isn't what have you done for me uh, you know, yesterday, it's what are you going to do for me tomorrow. And I realize on all those files, jobs, transit, traffic, housing, and making sure I have a good partnership with the other governments, there's much more to be done and results that people can measure with their eyes and ears and so on uh, to, to be achieved in 2016. Uh, throughout the year, it's, it's been mostly smooth, but there have been a few bumps in the road. When you look back, uh, what do you consider those bumps to be, and, and would you have done things differently? Well, the Gardner was a bump just in the sense it was a very controversial issue, but I sort of stuck to my own guns, which was not all about building expressways for the sake of building them, but rather keeping traffic and keeping the economy moving in the city. And uh, as evidence of how I make decisions, the minute I won that vote narrowly, I sat down with all those who had opposed uh, the proposition I put forward and said, how can we make it better? And we've been working ever since then, and we will have a much better result that a lot of them will be content with when we're done. I would also have to name the taxi and Uber issue as one that's been frustrating just because um, the taxi industry somehow think that I'm not sympathetic to their concerns. I'm deeply sympathetic to the fact that it is unfair, for example, for them to have very carefully prescribed insurance and Uber keeps saying, well, don't worry, we've got enough. And so that's why we're developing a regulation that covers off both in an equitable manner, and that's the objective of the, of the uh, new regulation. So that's been frustrating, but I mean, we've again trying to work through that file without pretending we can turn back the hands of time, because we can't. Uh, just with the whole taxi-Uber debate, I mean, did you envision that it would become such a big thing uh, when you took office? Because I think at that time, uh, Uber was here, but it was, they were just kind of getting their feet wet, and it gained so much momentum throughout the year. Did you envision it becoming the sort of issue that it has become? 
I thought it would be a significant issue because so many people are employed in the industry in one way or the other. If you just combine taxi drivers and Uber drivers together, you've got you know tens of thousands of people who are earning their living or trying to. And I think there's a you know a keen sense of unfairness felt by cab uh, drivers. I don't think they're at any way in any way at fault. I think some of the people in their industry allowed themselves to be lulled into providing substandard service, and 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 I think the drivers ended up paying a price. And when technology came along that made for better service and more convenient service, it took over. But I do think there is an unfairness that has to be addressed, and I do think we need a regulation that covers both. Uber's got to face the fact that it can't operate here in the Wild West. I said that from the beginning, but it certainly became a bigger issue than I might have expected. Uh, that's obviously going to take. Uh more clearer form next year. Do you envision that as one of the sort of major items uh, in 2016? I think it will be major for the same reason it became as major as it did in 2015 because uh, it's one of those issues down here at City Hall that has been debated I think about 114 times over the last number of years and the debates are always somewhat polarized. I don't know why they have to be but they seem to be that way and so I think yes it will be a significant issue in 2016. I'm hopeful though we will find a way now to have that balanced regulation that is fair to taxis, lightens the regulatory lo load on taxis and at the same time brings Uber into regulation, and I hope Uber, Uber is a respectful, good corporate citizen and realizes there is no such thing here as the Wild West where they can just say those laws don't apply to us. Um, once those regulations come in and they're more defined as to what the rules actually are, uh, if Uber continues to ignore them the way they're ignoring city bylaws right now, uh, do you think that there is something that can be done? Would you like to see something done? It's frustrating and challenging to deal with organizations like Uber when they have 300,000 users and 10, 15,000 drivers. But I can tell you right now that, uh, you know, if they're not respectful of the regulations that are going to be put together in a way that is balanced and fair to everybody and especially the public, there's going to be big problems here uh, because, you know, everybody, whether they're a corporation or a person, has to follow the agreed upon approved laws of the land. And so in this case, it's been difficult to enforce laws that are not as uh, precise and not crafted necessarily specifically to, uh, to anticipate Uber. The new law will be. It'll be meant to incorporate them and the cab drivers and everybody else, and there'll be no excuse other than stubbornness and unreasonableness not to follow that law once it's uh, put in place. Just from the taxi side of things, you saw the protest that we had last week. It, it caused a lot of problems on that day. Uh, the taxi industry is still very upset. Are you concerned at all about uh, you know, what may happen with the taxi industry in terms of further protests and things maybe getting violent or uh, you know, spinning out of control? I would say with respect to anybody who has a beef about some public policy issue, whether it's cab drivers or anybody else, it is never the right way to make progress on your issue, either with the court of public opinion or with decision makers to block up intersections or to get in any way, you know, sort of out of control. And so I hope that they might have seen for themselves that that uh, demonstration, if anything, was counterproductive. Um, and I hope that they understand that I am uh, I'm aware of the fact that the present situation is not fair and not up to date. We are working hard to bring in a new law that does bring Uber in from the Wild West scenario to a regulated business, that we're going to try and lessen the regulatory load on taxis with the net result hopefully being a fair system that serves consumers well where they have choice and convenience. And uh, I just hope that they're willing to be a little bit more patient with us uh, to get to that result by the winter. Uh, let's change gears here a bit. One of the things that you campaigned on was uh, bringing civil discourse back to City Hall and uh, keeping your door open to the left or the right or whatever side you're on, uh, given the problems with the, the person who preceded you in this office. Uh, how do you think you fared with that? And uh, how do you think the perception is from other councillors? Do you think they feel like your door is open and they can come in here at any time? 
I will say that I've not done as good a job as I know I can do, and I've been learning things even later in the year. I think when you asked me about how long it took to sort of get to, you know, to, to know the place, I came to realize that, for example, I'll, I'll give you two uh, examples. On refugees, uh, I have benefited immensely from talking with uh, Joe Cressy and Joe Mahevic about that issue and about their guidance on that issue. On uh, ground transportation, I benefited a great deal from having a conversation with Gord Perks about the issue and just about how we might deal with it. And so I've come to realize that some of those people that I named, those three, wouldn't vote with me 10% of the time. You know, they vote against or differently than me 90% of the time. But uh, I, I think there's no reason why I can't meet with them to try to make better public policy. And so during the course of the year, I was spending a, an increasing amount of time each month uh, spending time with councillors because I come to realize that, you know, as the mayor, I can't get anything done here without 23 votes on council out of the 44 other ones than me. And so I spent more time at that. So if you said, can I do a better job at that next year and making sure my door is open as frequently as possible to as many people as possible? The answer to that question is yes. I will say to you, even to the extent of doing things like inviting them down here, which I did on the last day of council for a reception before Christmas, um, things like that I think just cause us to be a little bit more cohesive as a group, recognizing we have different points of view. But I've, I've learned a lot this year, so I think I can do a much better job on that front uh, next year. And I made some steps forward, I think, this year in terms of doing what you asked about. Uh, let's talk about Smart Track. Uh, that's obviously your, your key election promise. Uh, you've got commitments from the federal and the provincial government. Um, but there's still some questions about the route and the track. Do you feel like your your tenure, your four your four years in office, hinge on what happens with Smart Track? Well, let's not forget uh, there will be no trains running at the end of my first term. Uh, so people will not be able to look out the window and say, "Oh my God, he kept his promise." Look at that Smart Track train going by. Uh, but what they should be able to see, I hope by the end of next year, is that we've, for example, finished all the studies, which I think are natural. If, if anybody listening out there f thinks about in their business, if they had to build a new building or put in a new machine line or whatever, there's a lot of time spent planning and drawing up designs and studying things and answering difficult questions before you actually build anything. And so um, I'm very hopeful that by the end of next year, people will be able to see real signs this thing is moving ahead, that we've answered the questions, we've agreed on a lot of things. I can tell you my discussions with the province are excellent in terms of uh, the partnership we have with Metro Lakes to deliver this thing. Um, and I see no reason why I have to back away from, uh, you know, the timetable we set out, which was that this would be done not in two years or two weeks or even the four-year term, but it would be done in seven years. Um, there's some questions about the West Corridor. I know that the city's currently doing studies to figure out what happens. Are you concerned when it comes to that part? Because that a lot of that will determine how much it costs and what happens. I mean, where does your confidence level stand with, with what, what, what could happen there? Well, my confidence level is at 100% on the thing that is most important. Will there be, in seven years from now, a train line that runs uh, from, uh, a, a, a transit service that runs from Mississauga Airport Corporate Center, where there's hundreds of thousands of jobs, through the downtown, through Union Station, and all the way up to Markham? Yes, there will. Will it provide frequent service? Uh, we said 15 minutes, maybe it'll be even better. Yes, it will. Will it have local stops so that it's not like an express train as in a normal GO train? Yes, it will. And so I'm absolutely confident there will be that and it will be called Smart Track. And it will be largely what I talked about. Will there be some changes that have to happen because of what we discover in doing these studies? Of course. Why else would you bother doing the studies? And so I think that it's one of those things where people will see that what I promised 
they will get, which is this transportation link between Mississauga all the way through to Markham. It will be more frequent trains stopping in more frequent places, and it'll be uh, on a fair integrated basis, uh, you know, with the TTC. And I think that's uh, going to be good for people. Uh, let's look a, a little forward now. Um, the contract talks are coming up with the inside and outside workers. Uh, people who have held this office before you have been judged a lot on that. Mayor Miller had strikes. People didn't. That people felt that was really held against him. Mayor Ford got the deals done. Uh, where do you stand in terms of that? And are you confident that we can get deals with both inside and outside without any sort of labor disruption? Well, it's my job to be optimistic, but at the same time, to be fair and to be firm. Uh, and so the negotiations are, are going to happen. I'm not heading them up. Uh, they're being dealt with by a negotiating uh, committee and by the very skilled advisors who advised uh, Mayor Ford. And I would just say we have to be firm. We have to be fair. We have to take account this is 2015 and that we can't just afford to do anything anybody else wants. We have to sort of take account of the ability of taxpayers to pay. And uh, the negotiations will unfold uh, as the rest of the universe will. And I just, you know, I, I hope for a negotiated settlement. That's what we would all hope for. When you look forward to your to your uh, next uh, year and even three years uh, left on this term, uh, aside from smart tech, which we talked about, what are, what are your big goals that you'd like to accomplish that you'd like to see done, you know, when re-election comes around in three years? I see myself as being the mayor, uh, you know, that is overseeing the task of building a city that moves, meaning we've got to do much better on transportation, both traffic and public transport. A city that works, and by that I mean two kinds of works, lots of jobs here, because it's a fundamental part of my responsibility working with the other governments and with business to attract jobs here so that all the very bright people we have can be employed. And also a city that works in that it's effectively, efficiently run, and there's lots of work to do there in terms of a government that I think hasn't been as well run as it might have been. And a city that cares which is a city that sort of says whether it's refugees or whether it's people who are down on their luck, who are uh, mentally ill, that we are pro providing the supports they need to get back on their feet and be able to continue to make a contribution. And I think those three objectives, a city that works, a city that cares, and a city that moves, are what the people want to see, uh, and that I'm determined just to carry on for the remainder of the three years doing those things, because that's exactly what I said I would do when I got elected. Just uh, to, to backtrack for a second, uh um, another issue that was prevalent this year is you were on the police services board. Carding was a big issue this year. Um, uh, you had to change up your stance a little bit. But now that we're here and the province has put in its, its uh, sort of legislation on the issue, uh, do you feel like we can move forward and, and that things are at a good place in terms of that issue right now? I think the provincial regulation will be helpful because it will be something that's meant to apply province-wide, and I think it will be the subject of considerable public consultation and whatnot. And so I think it will be helpful, and I think it'll, the sooner that regulation was available to us you know, in a, in a finished form, then we could move ahead to sort of see what that means for Toronto. But uh, I, I think that um, you know, the police understand they have a job to do in making sure they maintain a high level of public confidence. I think the community know that we're now seized of the issue in the sense that people like you and me and many others are talking about it, and that the government, uh, governments, plural, are moving on it. And I think it should lead to better relations between the police and the public because they've had a bit of strain on them uh, in recent times. All right. So now, now I want to get to the, the things that people really want to know, which is uh, holiday time is upon us. When it comes to Christmas in the Tory household, are there particular traditions uh, that you guys have in your household that you, that you go through every year? What is Christmas like in the Tory house? Well, let me say what it has been like, because this year, for the first time, Barb and I have been married for 30, almost 38 years. Aside from the first year we were married, this is the first year we will have no children with us and no grandchildren, because they're going to their other families, as it were. Right. And so um, it's an unusual experience for us. We will wake up Christmas morning 
just the two of us, and we haven't had that experience for 38 years, because part of the tradition, of course, as it is in many households of your listeners, that you know some child would come scampering into the room, whether it's a child or a grandchild, at you know 5:42 a.m., and you're going, oh no, you know that means for about a, about a 20-hour day by the time Christmas dinner is over, and then you go down, and we we were always forced. Uh, when I was a kid, and we forced our children to do the same, to go and eat breakfast before they could even go oh, near no. the tree. Oh, yeah. We, well, we thought it was important to sort of be fed, so you were going through all that. And that was, I think, probably a form of primitive torture inflicted on me by my parents, which we've done to our children as well. And so uh, this year we'll have no such constraint, but that is a typical... And then we all open presents together, and it is a joy with grandchildren and children, because it ends up being quite a large number of people doing that. And uh, then you just spend the day doing family stuff and have a grand uh, Christmas dinner at night. So this year I will be with my brother. Lest any listeners be feeling sorry for me, my brothers and my sister and my mother will be with uh, Barb and me, but we just won't have our own children and our own grandchildren because they're all off uh, with other parts of the family and uh, traveling. And how do you feel about that, the fact that you're going to wait? I mean, first of all, will you, you're uh, well known to be an early riser, no children on Christmas morning. Will you take the opportunity to sleep in, uh, you know, 8, 9 o'clock maybe? I am basically capable, incapable of sleeping until 8 o'clock. Uh, I wake up even on weekends or on Christmas Day at, at sort of 5 o'clock in the morning because that's when I wake up every day, and it's usually because I've just finished sleeping. So that day, Christmas Day, with nobody running into the room at 5.42 saying, Grandpa, Grandpa, let's go open gifts, I might just stay there for a little while longer. Uh, but uh, it'll be interesting. And, you know, you sort of will miss all the chaos of uh, that kind of Christmas because we've never had one for all these years that wasn't somewhat chaotic, either with our own children or with our children as adults and their children. So, but it'll still be happy. And uh, Barb and I are looking forward to it another way, being able to spend some time with each other, which in this job that I have now, you don't get to do very much. Sure. And what about for New Year's? What do you have planned? I don't know the answer to that. Uh, I don't want to sound too old or too ancient to your listeners, but uh, you get to the stage, and not everybody does, but many people get to the stage at my age. Barb and I are both 61, where you sort of say, well, it's just like birthdays. You say, you shrug your shoulders and say, well, it's another birthday, big deal. Yeah. And uh, so I like to get together with friends on New Year's, and I've never liked to do anything too boisterous. I mean, to me, the most favorite New Year's I ever remember, we were up in around Midland, and it was snowing quietly. It was one of those beautiful nights where it was absolutely still, and it was snowing, and it wasn't too cold. And we were just out for a walk right after midnight, and you're thinking to yourself, how special is this? And, you know, a lot of people don't like winter, but I happen to like it. And so, you know, but that wasn't a big party, and it wasn't a crazy celebration. It was just a really quiet walk in the snow. So, you know, we'll find something to do that's probably more like that than the wild parties uh, of uh, days gone by. All right, and the last thing I have for you is uh, every year on Christmas, around New Year's, the Queen puts out a message, the Governor General puts out a message, the Prime Minister puts out a message. Does, do you, as, as the Mayor of the City, have a, a Christmas message for, or a holiday message for the people of the city? Well, I have one that I prepared, and it will be put out just around Christmas time. But I can summarize it this way, that we are lucky to live in a great city, and I really do pe hope people have a wonderful holiday season, even if they're not themselves celebrating anything in particular this time of year. It is going to be the beginning of a new calendar year. And that I hope people realize the blessing we have here, uh, that uh, they've seen our values on display this year and the way we've handled the Syrian refugees, among other things. And that I hope they will take a little bit of time over the holidays maybe to think about somebody else, because there's a lot of people in the city who are struggling, and it is the Toronto way to care. And I just have said in that same message that I look forward to having a great year. When I say great year, for me, delivering for them on the things we talked about, transit, housing, jobs, uh, and keeping taxes down, but for them, a great year of good health and, and prosperity. And, and again, good fortune just to live in the greatest city and the greatest country in the world. And you know, that's something people say all the time. The fact is, it's true. 
Um, we are so lucky to live here, and my message has a great deal of sort of recognition of that good fortune, and uh, so I've given you a summary of the whole thing. 2015 is almost over. Do you feel like a blue buyer that to go by slowly? It's a bit of both. I mean, uh, you know, some of the council meetings seem very long only because the speeches are so numerous and so lengthy. But no, the year passes very quickly, and this is a very, very challenging job. It's very interesting, but it's a challenging, complex job. And so that keeps your full attention, and so you do get to the end of each week and say to yourself, my goodness, you know, how could it be Friday or already? And of course, you work many of the weekends so that the days all blur together. But the time's gone quickly. Um, you're younger than me, but a as you get older, each year goes by quickly no matter what job you're doing. <laughs> and so uh, you just have to sort of say you'll take it one day at a time and hope you can enjoy each day and get something done. All right, that's it. Thank you very much, Mertori. Thank you, Roman.